join this heavenly song. As a lot of you know, my name is Nathan here, and I'm an intern, and tonight I have the privilege of speaking um, to all God's Word, Psalm 47. You can find that on page 472 of the Pew Bible in front of you. Um, In a moment, we will open up and read the passage, but for now, let us pray. Lord, we need you. Lord, our hearts need you um, in order for us to cry out this heavenly song. Lord, we need you to soften our hearts. I need you to speak through me. Lord, we need you to be the reigning king um, who reigns over all of life. Lord, in your sovereignty, I need you to speak now in order for your word to be heard, to be affected in the hearts of the listeners. Lord, so we come to you now. Speak to us right now. Shy Lin. I've been on a Shy Lin uh, kick right now. Um, my roommate Josh knows. And from one of his songs, it's called Doxology. He says this. Theology is the study of God. Doxology is the expression of praise to God. So the point here is that theology should ultimately lead to doxology. If theology doesn't lead to doxology, then you've actually missed the whole point of theology. So if you have theology without doxology, you just have dead, cold orthodoxy, which is horrible. On the other side, you might hear some people that just say, ah, forget theology. I don't need theology. I just want to praise God. And if you do this, if you have doxology without theology, then you just have idolatry. So God needs both. He calls us to both. He's concerned with an accurate understanding of who he is that leads to a response of praise, adoration, worship towards him. Psalm 47 is this. It is theology that leads to doxology. It is an accurate understanding of who he is that leads to just a praise. It is a beautiful prophetic psalm. You will see many prophetic visions and sights. It is a heavenly song. It calls us to join this heavenly song. As we walk through the psalm tonight, though, I'll have four, have four points. I tried to simple them down. They're not very simple, so I'll slow down and I'll repeat them multiple times. Um, But the four points are the call to worship, the declaration of God's sovereignty, the response of worship, and the universal reign of God. I'll walk through them one at a time. Turn with me now, though, to God's word, and we'll read what he has to say to us. As we're reading, let your heart join this heavenly song, though. Join in. Psalm 47 goes like this. Clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with a loud song of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. A great king over the earth. He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses a heritage for us. The pride of Jacob, whom he loves. 
God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises to God. Sing praises. Sing praises to our King. Sing praises. For God is the King of all the earth. Sing praises with a song. God reigns over the nations. He sits on his holy throne. The princes of the people gather as the people of God of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. Now, as you can see at the top of the psalm, it is written, um, well, it, is, it says, the psalm of the sons of Korah. This is thought, though, to be written by King David, actually, though. Written by him. Uh, many people have looked into the way that it is spoken and the way it is written, and it lines up with a lot of the way David writes his psalms and his psalms. It's believed that the sons of Korah were the, the choir. They're singing this. They're shouting it out in celebration, in the festivals. You might have seen this in a, a feast, um, feast of the Tabernacle. Our first point today, the call to worship. Verses 1 and 2. Clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with a loud song of joy. For the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared, a great king over all the earth. The exhortation here sets the tone for the entire song. These first two verses set the tone. They set this tone, urging us all today to follow along. Follow along. Join in. Let your hearts be consumed with this. Join in in this heavenly song. How are we supposed to worship, though? What does it say? It says, clap your hands, all people. Shout to God with a loud song of joy. You can picture it. It is a vibrant, enthusiastic This is a worship service that you want to witness. This is a worship service that you would just be pulled along because you just can't help but praise the Lord. Praise Him, all creatures. While they're praising, they can't help but ask other people to join in. You, join in. Clap along. You. And who is it that is supposed to be worshiping? It says all peoples. It doesn't just say Jews. It doesn't just say Israelites. It says all peoples. Throughout the entire psalm, you might have noticed, it says all peoples in verse 1. It says all the earth in verse 2. It says all the earth again in verse 7. In verse 8, it says nations. In verse 9, it says peoples again. This is a broad scope, everyone. The joyful worship is extended to all the nations. Israel, they might be leading the van. But anyone that longs to follow and sees God as worthy of praise is called to follow, to worship him. Verse 2 tells us that anyone that lives on earth is under the reign of a great king. He's under the reign of a great king. Do you live on earth? I live on earth, right? We all live on earth. That qualifies you, congratulations, you've just qualified, to be under the reign of a great king. This great king, what makes him great? Why? Why is he called the great king? 
Verse 2 says, the Lord, the Most High. And if you might notice, it actually says the Lord in all capitals. The Lord is emphasizing this point. See it, the Lord. The author doesn't want us to miss this. He doesn't want us to miss the point. The Lord, the Most High, he is the great one. He is the great king. Shai Lin, going back, says theology is essential for doxology. There has to be an object worthy of praise. Can't just be placed anywhere. There's an object worthy of praise. What is that object worthy of praise? It's God. It's the Lord, the Most High. He is great. The Lord being the covenant name for Israel, Yahweh. Yahweh is a name given to specifically tell that they are the chosen people of God. Not only that, though, Yahweh is used in many other places, used specifically to describe God in a, in a very specific way. The one who is, or as Moses heard it, the I am, right? He is, in this psalm, being highlighted as the eternal, self-existing one. Here the author David testifies Yahweh, the Israelites' God, not some other God, not some other pagan God from the Canaanites, the Egyptians, the Philistines. No, no, the Israelites' God, our God. He is the God of Most High. He is the great God. He is the great king. And he is a covenantal king. Hopefully, I don't need to ask this next question. Um, And hopefully, it's been already building up in your hearts. Why are we called to worship? Why should we worship him? Hopefully, you already know just by his name of who he is, I am, that already has called your heart to answer this question. Why are we called to worship? Verse 2 tells us, though, says the Lord, the Most High, is to be feared. It's kind of a weird thing to just place right after. He should be feared. He should be feared, a great king over all the earth. The fear of the Lord is not just a sense of being afraid or terrified, but encompasses a deep reverence, awe, recognition that the Lord is king. He is king. He is the one who is divine, majestic, holy, righteous, sovereign. It acknowledges the vast difference between the Lord, the most holy one, and us. This is fear. It's an acknowledgement of this difference. He is a holy God. He is a holy Lord. And we are unholy sinners. Enemies of God by nature. And justly condemned. This is a fearful state to be in. And it should cause our hearts to dwell up, to recognize this in a worshipful praise. That should be the response to this fearful difference. Praise God he has made a way. Praise God he has made a way for us to be lifted out of this fearful state. Friends, sing a joyful song. God has made a way of salvation. The Israelites had a, have a way of salvation, and we do today. Let's look. Our second point is coming from verses 3 and 4. 
the declaration of God's sovereignty. The declaration of God's sovereignty. It says this, He subdued peoples under us and nations under our feet. He chooses our heritage for us, the pride of Jacob, whom he loves. Here the psalmist is proclaiming God's transcendent authority and power. He has subdued peoples and put nations under the feet of Israel. Calling them his people, bringing salvation from their enemies on earth and guaranteeing a chosen heritage for them. A heritage given to Jacob, the promised land. It was told to them, you will have this. Now, this is an area where I fail and the, the word must speak. I, to be honest, am a little unclear of the specific historical events driving this. There's many that came to be, and a lot of um, people, commentators, had many that they were juggling between these, all of them having the same theme, though, and none of them lose the main point of the psalm. Maybe the psalmist here was reminded of a historical event where, Exodus 14, where God delivered Moses and the enslaved people of Israel out of Egypt. Maybe he was reminded of that. Maybe he was reminded of 2 Corinthians 20, where King Jehoshaphat and the people won a victorious victory by God's intervention. Just sheer intervention. He jumps in and wins a battle against many nations. Or maybe it was more personal to David. Maybe he was just recalling his own personal experiences of the Lord. 1 Samuel 17, where David and the Israelites, we all know the story, were delivered from the Philistines and the great giant, Goliath. He is seeing this. He is seeing this played out in his nation. God delivers. He is sovereign. He is in control. He subdues them under the feet of Israel, under his chosen people. All of these accounts display a complete sovereign power. He is on Israel's side. And he will subdue peoples and put nations under their feet, whatever it takes to bring salvation. This is what we have been offered. But full salvation didn't come just from the defeat of the enemies and the authorities of this earth. There is a greater enemy that we need deliver, deliverance from. We need deliverance and full salvation from a greater enemy. The power that is most harmful to his people, most offensive to God, and stands between God and his chosen people. It is a dark power that forms the secret background to everything you do and every power on earth. This power has enthroned and is captivated in dominion Jews and Gentiles alike. They've been rescued from all of these people being delivered out of them. They still had one master that they were under dominion of. This master, this dark master, goes by the name of sin. So God gives Moses and the Israelites the Mosaic law, 
right? He gives them the Mosaic Law, you know the story, so that by this they might pay for their sins, become holy, and gain their full inheritance, the presence of God. But the perfect and holy law, being perfect and holy, still was weakened by flesh. It was weakened by flesh and was not able to make the Israelites holy. It condemned them all the more. It proved to them that they were not able. This was not a mistake of God. His sovereignty did not slip up and make a mistake of giving them this holy law and being like, oh, that was supposed to work, right? It didn't do that. God and his sovereignty had another way of salvation. He was orchestrating this all along, which brings us to our third point. The response of worship. The response of worship. Verses 5 and 7. God has gone up with a shout. The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Sing praises. Sing praises to our king. Sing praises. For God is the king of all the earth. Sing praises with a psalm. In verses 5 through 7, the psalmist paints one of the most beautiful pictures. One of the most beautiful pictures just just like thrown at you in one verse. It paints a prophetic picture. A prophetic picture of the heavens opening up in the great victorious march. This is a march home. This is an ascension of Jesus Christ. He has won. He has come. If he has ascended, that means he's also descended. He came to earth and died on the behalf of people so that they can be released from the dominion of sin we all are under. And he won. His ascension is proof. It's the stamp of approval that God has accepted this in payment for you. This is a great celebration. Such a great celebration that we see shouts, heavenly shouts, and trumpets being played. The heavens are rejoicing at this. They are witnessing the greatest victory. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Verses 5 again says, The Lord, all capitals, Yahweh. He has descended, he has defeated sin by death, ascended on high, and now reigns. He has won. If you are a believer here today, rejoice. Join this heavenly song. The heavens are opened because your sins have been paid. You stand today forgiven. Join this heavenly song. But if you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you have not believed in the exchange that he has, the holy God, Lord, Yahweh, coming down to earth, dying for you. If you haven't placed your faith in him, this God, coming down to you where you are at, if you have not placed your faith in him doing this on your behalf, paying that punishment, you're in a fearful state. 
you are in a fearful state. And I plead with you today, please put your faith in the work of Jesus on your behalf. And he is faithful and just to forgive you. We now, like the Israelites, can find comfort if we've placed our faith in him. We can have comfort and peace in the unwavering covenantal love and faithfulness of Yahweh. He is your God. He is your great king. A frail humanity under the reign of a savior king. This is a joyful song. Our final point today is our fourth point. The universal reign of God. The universal reign of God. Coming from verses 8 and 9. God reigns over the nations. God sits on his holy throne. The peoples, or the princes of the peoples, gather as the peoples of God, of Abraham. For the shields of the earth belong to God. He is highly exalted. The psalm concludes with a resounding declaration of God's sovereignty. Stated, he is sovereign. And he reigns. With holiness being his throne on which he reigns. It is a holy throne. It is holy and set apart like he is holy and set apart. He reigns in a just manner, in a pure manner, in a righteous manner, in a morally perfect manner. Just like him. Verses 9, again, prophetically depicts things so sure that it states it as a fact. It just says, this is a fact. This happened. This happened. Look with me. It says, the princes of the people gather as the people of God of Abraham. The psalm here invites all people, calling them to join like it called us to join in the beginning of this psalm. It called us in the beginning, join in, all people. Now it declares it as fact. All people will join in. The nations will come. They will join in the princes, the rulers. There will be many of all assortments, all variations, joined in one anthem song, one heavenly song. This song is Savior as King, your Savior, your King. This is the one promise given to Abraham. In Genesis 12, 3, it says, In you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. All people join in this one song that even the heavens open up to. Then it says, The shields of the earth belong to God, symbolizing again his authority and ownership over the nations. A shield, it's a metaphor. Many of us know shields, they're strong, they're protective, they're defensive. This is God. 
This is conveying that the worldly powers and authorities, the princes, are under the authority of a sovereign God and being used as a shield for his people. You are under the protection of God's shield. That comes through authorities of this earth. Sing praises to our God. Sing praises to our King. The covenantal one who has faithfully secured for us full salvation. A heritage promised to Jacob. A full heritage. Not just a promised land, but the promised land. A presence with God. Being with him, with all people. That heritage is secure for you. And the blessing of Abraham is guaranteed. It will happen for you if you put your trust in him. This is a heavenly psalm. So the psalm ends with the only appropriate way to end a psalm like this. He is highly exalted. Will you join this heavenly psalm?